Welcome to the Converge Community Church Podcast, where we provide for you the previous Sunday morning sermon. And now without further ado, may the Holy Spirit minister to your heart as you hear the preaching of God's Word. Good morning, again. The last time I said good morning, there, I think there's more people that came in since I said good morning last, so I have to throw it out there again. But it's, it's good to be with you. It is an honor and a joy to be with the church and to gather together and worship to be together and be led by a, a full team on the stage of young people, isn't it? It's good. Yeah. So uh, youth group worship team, is that what you, ca- is that what you call you guys? You, you guys need like a title or something like some, but Thank, thank you for coming and serving us this morning and leading us in worship. So we are moving along in our Matthew series, and we are now in chapter 17. So, I mean, we're at least halfway through Matthew. We've been in the gospel for a pretty long time now. Uh, I would encourage you, because we can really dig into the details, and sometimes when we come together uh, it's like, where in the world are we in this? And how does this connect with everything else? So let me encourage you in this way. Um, we just, we packed out our Sunday school class this morning, which is, um, which is great. And I, hopefully everyone had a good time. At least I had a good time. Um, but I would, I would just want to invite you all to it. Um, if we have to move the, the Sunday school class into this room, that is not a bad thing. Um, so I just want to encourage you, our Sunday school class, what we do is just work through the passage together, and it's very interactive, and it's kind of like iron sharpening iron, uh, where we're kind of throwing out ideas of what in the world are we reading, and we ask questions, and we kind of wrestle through it together. And it's just, it's just a good time of working our way through the passage together. And I know for myself, I'm encouraged uh, just by what I'm hearing and, um, and, and a lot of the times I'm having to go back, if I'm preaching, I'm kind of going back and like changing some things. It's like, man, I think I was off on that. Um, and so it's just, it's a good practice. You don't have to be the one that's speaking and sharing, but just being in the class and hearing what other people say, it, it's a good thing. So just want to give a, maybe a shameless plug. Is that okay to say for the Sunday school class? So with that, let me give you a little review of what we've covered so far, because we've reached a significant point. It's a, it's a significant turning point in the gospel of Matthew, and it kind of starts way back in chapter four. So let me share with you in chapter four, this is after Jesus comes out of the desert, was tempted by Satan. He begins his ministry, and the phrase that they say is this, this is how Matthew says it. He says, from that time, Jesus began to preach. Okay, so at the beginning of his ministry, he kind of sets his, his uh, home base in Capernaum. And then Matthew says, from that time, Jesus began to preach. And so, and we've, we've seen this, right? So there's these uh, several discourses that we've already gone through. So if you think of the Sermon on the Mount, remember that was three chapters long. We were in it for like three months. 
okay, working through just this one sermon that Jesus had, that's him preaching. And then later on, he interacts with his disciples. He calls his disciples to go out and minister. Part of that is preaching. But through that, he gives uh, instructions to them. And it's like a chapter long of, of encouragement and um, helping them understand the relationship between them and, and the hearers and how the hearers are going to respond to their message. And, and then later in chapter 13, Jesus starts preaching or teaching in parables. And so the whole chapter uh, of 13 is him teaching in these parables. So that's basically we see from chapter four, we see this thread of Jesus preaching from that time forward. But now in Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, so we, this is last week, it says, from that time, Jesus began to show. So it changes. From that time, Jesus began to preach to that, from this time, Jesus began to show. And what did he begin to show? That he must suffer be crucified, and three days later, rise from the grave. However, if you remember, Peter, despite his declaration that Jesus is the Christ, he, he didn't necessarily grasp Jesus's message or revelation that he just gave, right? So Jesus is to suffer and die and rise again, and Peter grabs him and he he pulls him aside and he rebukes Jesus. He says, we will not allow this to happen to you. And of course, Jesus doesn't get it, right? He doesn't see that Jesus has to be not just the Messiah, the Christ, but he has to be the suffering Messiah. Peter doesn't see it. And so Jesus, after he gets rebuked by Peter, gives a little rebuke back. And he tells Peter, he's like, get behind me, Satan. Okay, that's not a little rebuke, by the way. Get behind me, Satan. You, you are not understanding. Your, your mind is not on the things of God, but on the things of man. So in summary, Jesus in this section in chapter 16, Jesus unveils his path that he must take in order to save souls. That's what's going on. He's revealing, this is the path I must take. And then he turns around because after he rebukes Peter, he brings in his disciples and he goes, and guess what, guys? In order to, to come after me, you must follow in my path. You must also suffer and be willing to die. You must lose your life in order to gain it. And he's describing that for them. And I think what's taking place here is that the, the disciples, they don't get it. They're not understanding this yet. They can't comprehend what Jesus is telling them. And, and for the disciples, they're like, this is not comfortable. This, this path that you're asking us to, I mean, how many of you like to suffer? No? Uh, to move towards death? Anyone? No, not, these are things that we don't like. We don't even like to talk about these things. 
let alone move towards them in some way. And Jesus is saying, this is what's necessary. And the disciples are like, are you sure? And also, here's the other thing. I don't think the disciples can grasp how the Old Testament points to the suffering Messiah and this call to death. They don't see that as well. And so this is what is being unpacked for us. Jesus is explaining it to them. And now I think in some way, Jesus is going to show some of them. So first he's explaining it, and now he's going to reveal it in some way. This is going to be kind of like a, uh, an illustration of what he's trying to show them or tell them, okay? And he does it in an interesting way. So this is basically the main idea, though. If anything you guys get this morning, this is it right here. Here's the main idea of what we're going to cover. It's this, to listen to Jesus who is the son of God, who will restore all things through suffering. Listen to Jesus because he's, he is the son of God and he will restore all things through suffering. And so with that, why don't we stand together? You can stand now. We're going to read this or I'm going to read it out loud. And if you would like to follow along, but, and if you, if you can't stand, um, if that's, uh, uncomfortable for you, just remain seating, seated, that's fine. But we just do this in honor of the word of God. So let me read this for us. Matthew 17, verses 1 through 13. It says this, And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And he was still speaking when behold, a bright cloud overshadowed, overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their face, faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them saying, rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, tell no one the vision until the son of man is raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, then why did the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he answered, Elijah does come and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come and that the, and they did not recognize him but did to him whatever they pleased, so also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. With that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you. We thank you for your word. 
And we pray that, Lord, you would reveal to us what you have for us this morning. Uh, Lord, even through um, some of this that might be confusing, um, I pray that you would make it clear. And through it, Lord, that our hearts and minds would be transformed into the likeness of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. All right, so I've broken uh, this passage down into three scenes that we have. Uh, The first scene is that Jesus is transfigured. That one's pretty, pretty simple and obvious. So after Jesus predicts his own death and calls the disciples to follow him in sacrifice, that's what we're talking about in chapter 16, he makes this proclamation. This is the last verse in chapter 16, and it's kind of a head scratcher. We talked about it last week, but it ties in with our passage this week. It's chapter 16, verse 28. It says, truly, I say to you, this is Jesus speaking, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the son of man coming in his kingdom. It's like, what in the world is he talking about here? There's a lot of commentators that have different ideas of what this is talking about. That's talking about when he rises from the grave or uh, when he descends into heaven or maybe Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes and the church is birthed. Um, But it's, it's, it's pretty, uh, there's a principle here when it comes to trying to understand what the text is meaning by actually looking at the text, looking at the context, what came before and what came after. So right now we're looking at what comes after. This is the beginning of chapter 17. And you have to remember this too. Uh, Matthew, when he originally wrote the text, didn't have chapters, didn't have verses. So, Chapter 6, verse 28, moving into chapter 17, verse 1, it's all the same. It flows right together. There's no verse separation, no chapter separation. And so I think it's very interesting that Matthew starts with, uh, with time, like identifying a specific time of this event. What does he say? Verse 1, he says, and after six days, after Six days. Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up high, a high mountain by themselves. So Matthew is linking these two verses together by this specific time. And if you go back and look at all the transitions in Matthew where he's he's uh, going from event to event, he doesn't get this detailed. It's usually the, the phrase and then. Or maybe he might say the next day, but he never gets this specific when it comes to days. He's like six days later, this happened. And so what he's referring to here is this idea of, of some not tasting death until they see the kingdom of, of um, the kingdom of God. I, I think what he's talking about here is when he goes up to the mountain with how many disciples? Three right? Some of them, they're going to see something that the others won't see until death. So I think this is kind of what's going on here. Think of it this way. This is kind of the, uh, the timeline of how things go, right? 
we become disciples of Jesus. Jesus grabs a hold of us, opens our eyes, and we, we become disciples. We, we get baptized. We follow him. And in the following of him in this life, there will be times of suffering. And we all have to face death. Death is like the ultimate uh, challenge. It's the ultimate, uh, it's in um, Pilgrim's Progress, the book, uh, which is an analogy of the Christian walk. That's the very end thing that takes place. And they think, and it's described or viewed as a river that every single one of us has to cross. We have to cross this, ri- this river. And you know what? There, there's, a, there's an aspect of, of a, um, a testing of our faith in it. If you've experienced people struggling at the end of their lives or, or struggling with health and they know the end is near, like that is a scary place to be. That is, that is a challenge of faith. And so that's, that's the path that we have to walk. This is the path that Jesus is describing. What is it? Take up your cross and follow me even through death. And here's the promise. And then you will see glory. Then you will experience glory. In fact, that's exactly what happens with Jesus. And so I think, I don't know if I have this. I'm kind of going off my notes here. I'm going to share this now. Uh, In the, this you can find this in the New Testament in all different places. Paul gives us one in Philippians where it says what Jesus has done for us. He became a servant even and obedient even to the point of death. Okay, so there's the death. And then Peter or Paul says, therefore, because he did this, therefore, God raised him up. God exalted him. And so Jesus takes on flesh, becomes a servant, lowers himself, humbles himself, faces suffering and death. Therefore, God raises him up. That's our path. And in chapter 16, that's basically what Jesus is saying. If you are to come after me, you are to deny yourself, take up your cross, face death, and follow me. And guess what? When you read uh, Ephesians, when you read Philippians, when you read Colossians, it points to what happens after. You too will be glorified. You too will be exalted. But first you have to go through this path. Not very comfortable, very difficult, hard. We don't want to talk about it. Here, Jesus says, you know what though? There's going to be three. There's going to be three that before death, will get a glimpse of my glory. That's what he's talking about here. That's what this transfiguration is all about. He takes these three and he's like, listen, you're going to see this before you have to walk this path. You're going to get a glimpse of it. You're going to get a glimpse of it. So here's the question. Why? Why are they getting a glimpse of it before death? Well, I think it's because this is hard for them, right? They're not getting it. Peter definitely doesn't get it, right? He definitely doesn't get it. And so 
Here's, here's this path that Jesus is calling them to take. So if you imagine the disciples, I think of it this way. Here they see what Jesus is doing. He's healing people. He's walking on water. Uh, he's casting out demons. Like he is doing just with a word. Like this is the kind of guy that you want to follow. And you're like, oh yeah. Like who's going to stop this man? right? He's, he's talking about the kingdom of, com- of kingdom of God coming. And they're like, oh yeah, let's do this, right? The, the Romans, the Romans have control of Israel, right? Israel's being oppressed. They don't have their king. Jesus is coming with power through the word, his word. And they're like, oh yeah, let's go. And then all of a sudden, Jesus, no, 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 this is not how it's going to go. It's not going to come with power. It's not going to go with, through, through a powerful king and through war. It's going to come this way. And the disciples are like, um, that, that doesn't make sense, right? Does that make sense? In order to gain your life, you must lose it. That doesn't make sense. In order to gain something, you need to let it go, what are in the world are you talking about? And why would I want to go that path? I don't want to suffer. I don't want to face death. I would rather go the other way. So if we struggle with that, if I struggle with that, I think the disciples struggled with that. And here, this is kind of like a grace or a mercy. Jesus is saying, you know what? You three come with me. And I think what he's doing here is planting a seed. He's he's dropping something in for them to see that they will later be encouraged and be able to walk this path of suffering with boldness. It's not going to happen suddenly. It's going to happen way later. But this is just a bookmarker. This is just a pin in, in, this, in this timeline for the disciples to look back and go, wait a minute, that's what that meant. That's what's this for. This is what's going on here. All right. I, I think I just like kind of unpacked everything that I was going to share throughout this whole sermon, but we'll just keep going. Matthew chapter 17, verse two. We're only in verse two. We're going to speed this up. And he was transfigured before them and his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. Okay, so they, they go up this mountain, they see Jesus in this radiance. So have you guys ever tried to look at the sun? Uh, the sun? Like that's, it's, like with like little kids, you're like, do not look at the sun because you know, they could like burn out your eyes. Like you can actually do harm to your eyes by looking in directly into the sun. But, it, but maybe like when the sun is rising um, on the road or setting and you know how it's like totally blinding, you can't see what's going on and uh, like you need a visor just to be able to see. So I can imagine that kind of thing happening where all of a sudden Jesus is transfigured, his face is shining like the sun and they're probably doing one of these things. Whoa, they want to see what's going on because it's like never seen this before but it's blinding them and they're, and they're kind of covering his face and, and by doing so might 
probably be able to see, wait a minute, and his clothing is as white as light itself. So they're seeing this amazing vision. And this picture of glory, because that's what's going on here. They're seeing Jesus transfigured in glory. This is what Jesus is going to look like in glory after death. When we see him face to face after death, after the resurrection, after he comes back, this is how we're going to see him. It will be blinding. This is his glory. And we see this picture of glory throughout scripture. So to remind you of some of those in Daniel chapter seven, Daniel gets this vision and it says this, this is starting in verse nine. I don't think I have it uh, for you. You can just write out, write down the reference, but it says, as I looked, thrones were placed and the ancient of days took his seat. So this is the ancient of days. His clothing was white as snow. And the hair of his head like pure wool, his throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court sat in judgment and the books were opened. Uh, Is that a glorious vision? Is that something where it's like, whoa, this is a little different. Never seen this before. Maybe a little intimidating. This is, you're seeing power, you're seeing grandeur. And this is what's taking place on top of this mountain. These three men are seeing this in Jesus. But not only that, not only do they see Jesus transfigured, but all of a sudden, Moses and Elijah come down. Now, listen, I don't know why, how they knew it was Moses and Elijah. I told the Sunday school class that was because they were name, uh, wearing name tags. Um, lanyards, maybe? I don't know. But, um, but they identify Moses and Elijah. So it's like things are getting even crazier. They're getting even more amazing and more majestic. Here's Jesus transfigured. Moses, who represents the, old, uh, the, the law in the Old Testament, Elijah representing the prophets. So, so the Old Testament is represented here, conversing with Jesus. And this is such an amazing sight that Peter has to say something. Peter needs to do something. And And I think we, you know, a lot of times we were like, poor Peter. But I can, can you imagine being on top of that mountain and seeing the scene? What would you do? Right? Wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't you be like, you know, you, you want to video this. You're like, I cannot believe this is happening before my eyes. Um, I'm going to download this on YouTube and get thousands of views, right? Like, you're like this, we need to memorialize this in some way. This, this is good. That's what Peter says. We, us being here is good. This is good. We need to memorialize it. 
here's my idea. Let's, let's have some tents. You guys can, let's spend some time here. You guys can spend time here. We'll make tents. You guys will be weatherproofed. Um, you know, the, the rain won't bother you. Just stay here. Keep this going. This glory, this majesty, what we're seeing is so good. Let's, let's keep it here. That's what Peter is doing. I'm wondering if he's like, guys, just, just hang on for a minute. And he like bolts off to go to get the, grab the other disciples. You guys got to see this. This is amazing. I think that's what Peter is doing here. Like I said, I think we, we pick on Peter. Peter, who by faith gets out of a boat and starts following Jesus, walking on water. Of course, he begins to doubt. Jesus says to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Peter, the one who speaks up and says, Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of God. It's the same Peter who later rebukes Jesus and Jesus tells him, get behind me, Satan. Man, here we are again. Poor Peter jumps out. This is good. This is good that we're here. Hey, Let's, at least he says it like in a nice way. He's like, hey, what do you think about us just pitching some tents for you guys? So G- Peter wants to memorialize this. And listen, so I'm arguing for Peter here. I'm, I'm trying to get into Peter's head because I, I don't think he was like off. So if you think back to Old Testament times, there were, there were times that People had visions of God and, and it was so significant to them that they wanted to memorialize it in some way. So if you think of uh, Jacob having this vision of this ladder and angels coming up from heaven down to earth and back up, he has this vision and I think it's, he's sleeping, he's sleeping, his head is on a rock while he's having this vision. And so what does he do after the vision? He takes the rock and he places it in a way and he declares, this is, this is a memorial. This is something to remember that God's house is here. The, the entrance to his throne, the entrance to his home is here. He memorializes it. Joshua does the same thing when uh, they, they go to the Jordan River and and God parts the Jordan for the Israelites and they get led across and there's these rocks in the river. And he says, pull out 12 rocks. They pull out 12 rocks and they place them. And he says, this is to remember what God did for us. And when you, when you have children and your children's children, you are, and when they say, hey, why are these rocks here? This is what you're to tell them. This is what you're to remind them of. And I think Peter's kind of doing the same thing here. He's like, whoa, we are in the presence of God's glory. There's some way that we need to establish this on this mountain. And this is where it kind of gets humorous. Poor Peter, right? You can understand where Peter's coming from. I'm trying to make the case. I think we would be like Peter too. Because here's the thing. After Peter starts talking about this, all of a sudden, God the Father interrupts him, right? 
This is great. This is good. We should put up tents. We should blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden, boom. The, 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 the cloud comes and, and the father speaks. And you can kind of, have you ever been in that situation where you're, you're in a group, right? And like you guys are having conversations and you say something along the lines of, this reminds me of the story when blah, 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 blah. And as you're saying it though, like somebody else says something which draws everybody else's attention to them. And uh, you, you thought you had everyone's attention. And so you st- keep going with the conversation. But as you're looking around, you're realizing that nobody's listening to you. Have you, have you been there before? You know what I'm talking about? Or is, or is it just me? That only happens to me. But uh, this is kind of what's happening. Peter thinks that, man, I, I have something very important to say. This is good. No, there's something far more important that needs to be said. And so the father interrupts him, jumps in, and begins to speak. I have no idea where I'm at in my notes. So this brings us to the father's proclamation. All right, I have a great illustration too. I think I'm gonna try to put it in some other spot here, but let's, let's jump to the Father's proclamation here. Verse five, he was still speaking when behold, this is Peter, he was still speaking when behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, listen to him. So this is the second time that God the Father makes this proclamation. So if you go back, I think it's in uh, chapter three. Yes, chapter three, 16, 17. I have it right here. He says it again. He says, when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were open to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Why does Matthew repeat this? Why does Matthew include both of these? I think he's repeating himself here because when John baptized Jesus, not all the disciples were there. I don't think Peter, James, and John were there. He's reiterating this to them. At least he's reminding them of this. Remember what I said back in the time of his baptism? Matthew's including this so that his readers will be reminded. Remember what the father said about his son? So this is, this is really important. When the father speaks, we should listen. If he repeats himself, we should really listen. And so I think out of everything that we've we covered and in this passage, I think this is the climax right here. I think Matthew really wants us to dive into and, and really sit on what this means. The heavenly father is proclaiming the identity of Jesus. And he's reminding the disciples because there's going to be times when they may question, is he really the son of God? I don't know about you, but through my walk, 
There's times that I question. There's times when doubts come. A lot of times it's, it's when I'm experiencing the most amount of suffering, when I'm being challenged, when there's broken relationships, when things don't look all that great. And I start to question and doubt. And I think here, God is reminding the disciples. He's reminding his audience then. I think he's reminding us now. Be assured. This is voiced by God the Father himself. There are witnesses that heard this and recorded it for us so that we can go back and go, you know what? We can trust. We can trust in this word. All right. In this proclamation that God the Father gives, there's something that he added this time. So he says, this is my beloved son who I'm well pleased. And now this time he says, listen to him. Who, who's supposed to listen to him? Well, I think here it's the three disciples, right? This is my beloved son, listen to him. Have, have you ever, you know, with little kids, you, you have to repeat yourself? Like, go brush your teeth. And then they go off some other place and, no, 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 listen to me. Listen to the words that are coming out of my mouth. Go brush your teeth. Did you hear me? Yes. No, no, listen then to me. Obey. That's what he's talking about here. It's not like, hey, listen up, you know, open your ears, hear these words. No, no, this is, this is listen Obey what I say. So for example, you go back to the Sermon on the Mount. I just saw my youngest son smile when I'm telling about this. <laughs> so if you go back to the Sermon of the, on the Mount, Jesus said a lot of stuff. And he said things like, you've heard it said, but I say to you, do this, don't do that. So if you go through those three chapters, it is Jesus teaching, he's preaching, he's telling them, giving commands of what to do and not what, not what, what to do and what not to do. And God the Father is saying, listen. Here's another one. Just previously, chapter 16, verse 24, if anyone would come after me, let him what? Deny himself. Take up his cross, follow me. Three commands, deny yourself. Take up your cross, follow me. Listen to him. Listen. Later in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, this is before Jesus descends. This is after he rises from the grave. He's speaking to his disciples and he gives this command to them. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all, nation, all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. How much? How many of his commands? all of them, what all Jesus spoke, what he preached, what he teached, teach them to observe, to obey, to listen to everything that Jesus said. 
So here's the point. I don't think, uh, well, let me say it in this way. We must remember that following Jesus isn't just us having faith or trusting that he is the Messiah or trusting that he died for our sins. That is important. We have to do that. That is a call. We are to follow in that way, put our faith in him, but we're also to obey. It's a both and here. We are supposed to follow Jesus in obedience because what Jesus preached, he also walked and he's calling us to follow in that way. So yes, we are saved by grace through faith and trusting in Jesus, but there is also a call to obedience. So here's the question. Do we, do we follow in the same way? The things that Jesus is teaching, and friends, this sh- should make us uncomfortable. Because if you just even go back, you say, oh, okay, we are to obey Jesus. Okay, so that means I need to know what he said. So just go back to the Sermon on the Mount. Chapter five through seven. Read what Jesus calls us to in chapters five through seven. Because I'm telling you, it is not comfortable. This, this is actually a picture of what he means by deny yourself and taking up your cross. If someone sues you for your cloak, you are also to give him your tunic or the other way around. I don't, you're, if he sues you for something, you're to give him more. If, if, he calls, if someone calls you to walk a mile, you are to walk too. Love your enemy. Forgive those and pray for those who persecute you. It's not just um, ignore those who persecute you. That's, that's pretty good. No, you're to pray for them and to love them. This is not easy. And here the father's saying, obey, listen. All right. Um, so the father speaks. Isn't it interesting? Jesus is transfigured. Whoa. Elisha, Moses comes down. Whoa. Uh, we need to do something. Then all of a sudden this cloud comes, the father speaks, they drop. They drop to their knees. In the presence of the father, they drop and Jesus has to be like, hey, <clears throat> don't be terrified. Now, now notice in our passage that he says this when, when everybody's gone. So Moses and Elijah are gone. The father is gone. And Jesus says, get up, don't be terrified. Do not fear. Come on, get up. So here's something that I think is interesting. I think this is a natural response to one who has encountered the holiness of God. So think back for a moment. If you go back to the Old Testament, uh, the, uh, the building of the tabernacle, this is Moses building the tabernacle. And, and when it's built, um, this cloud enters in and surrounds it. And people, they're like, uh, this is crazy. They are terrified. They, want, they will not approach 
there's, there's this, you know, kind of standing off. It's like, we, we don't want to get near when, when Moses goes to the mountain and there's a pillar of there's flames and smoke and God is there. It's like the people are like, Moses, you go up there. Uh, we're going to stay down here. And it's because of the holiness of God for us as human beings is terrifying. Uh, Isaiah chapter six has this vision where he goes into the most holy of holies. And when he's standing before the majesty of the father, he says, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips. Woe is me. I am dead. This is too great for me. There, there's this, this fear. And I would say it is a holy fear, a holy awe that will make us tremble before the father. And so, so let me bring this back application wise in this sense of, of how we engage with the father, because I think there's various ways that we encounter God, right? How do we hear God or how do we engage with him? And, and uh, with, with Jesus, when we see Jesus, we see him as a friend. The, the scriptures call him a friend. So there, there is this way that we can come up beside Jesus and be like, hey, you know, there's, there's this way that we can identify with him in that way of friendship but he's not just a friend. He's also a king. He's our savior. So in a way, there's this, there's this aspect of coming before him in worship. We see the disciples do that at times where they worship him. And I, there's also times that we will be terrified, that there will be fear because of his holiness. So, I mean, there's different ways that we interact and engage with the Lord, or there's different ways that the Lord will present himself. And I think all these ways are actually good. And so when it comes to being in the presence of the father and experiencing his holiness, a lot of times that comes out of this, that he is so holy that it's kind of like a mirror and when it reflects upon us, we see how unholy we are. We, his holiness represents that he is a perfect judge. And so standing before a perfect judge and realizing that we are not perfect, we're like, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm a man of unclean feet, of unclean hands. Like I am just unclean before this. And, and my, uh, what I deserve, what justice demands is my death. Woe is me standing before a holy God. And I think the disciples were experiencing this. And of course, Jesus comes with mercy and grace. Do not be terrified. I am here. Rise. Follow me down the mountain. All right, scene three, this is the restoration will come through suffering. And so let me set this up. They, they are walking down the mountain and Jesus tells them, hey, look, 
what you just experienced, what you've just seen, keep it to yourself. Like, wait, what? No, no, no. Don't post it on Twitter. Don't post it on whatever. Uh, Keep your phones off. Um, This was just for you. Keep it quiet until the Son of Man rises from the grave. Okay. So he gives them this command, which they respond back from this. And it's very interesting. This is verse 10. So after he says this command, gives this command, they say, then why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? Now, wait a minute. Okay. Now, if I was one of the disciples, that would not be my first question. I think probably like my rebellious heart would be, um, Jesus, why not? Right? You say, don't tell others of this. I'm like, "Um, why not? This was crazy. My friends are down at the end. of. They're going to wonder what happened up there. I kind of want to tell them. Like this was, this was unbelievable. Why are you telling me to keep this quiet? That would be my question. Or I'd be like, can, can you explain this whole like dying thing to me? I don't get this. What do you mean you have to die and be raised? Nobody's ever been raised from the dead. Well, I guess there were some that were raised from the dead that they saw, but This does not make sense. This is not how the Messiah is supposed to come. They cannot comprehend this. Notice, though, their question that they ask. Why did the scribes say that first Elijah must come? So my question is, is why would they ask such a silly question like this at this time? Why would they ask that question about Elijah and the scribes mentioning this? And I think here's here's the reason. This whole idea of Elisha. So basically the scribes know their Old Testament very well. They know their Old Testament. And what they're referring back to is Malachi chapter four verses. And I'm going to go, I'm going to read verses four through six for you. So this is what they're referring back to. Remember the law of my servant Moses, which, hey, we just saw Moses. Okay. The statutes and rules that I commanded him at Arab for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And so the disciples are like, whoa, we just saw this glimpse of the great day of the Lord coming. They're coming down the mountain. And now they're thinking of this. The scribes have been bringing it up and they're like, well, wait a minute. The, the day has come. Where's Elijah? Isn't he supposed to come first? So Elijah, the prophet, this is to come before this great and awesome day of the Lord. And here's what's interesting now. Jesus, I think, is what's taking place in verse 11, is finishing this prophecy. So let me read for you verse 5 and 6. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And now Jesus is going to finish it in verse six here where he says, and he will turn the hearts of his fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So basically in this prophecy, there will be a type of restoration, right? a type of repentance that takes place 
where there is a division between the fathers and the sons. And when Elijah comes, there's going to be repentance. There's going to be a change in heart and the fathers and the sons are going to be reconciled. It's this picture of reconciliation. And so um, Jesus here, finishing that quote, just summarizing it basically in verse 11 says, Elijah does come and he will restore all things. He will bring about repentance. And we actually see this take place with John the Baptist. Okay, so I'm gonna kind of give you the, the end result here. Because Jesus says, but listen, I tell you, this is verse 12 through 13, but I tell you that Elijah has already come and they did not recognize him. The scribes did not recognize him, but I did, but they did to him whatever they pleased. So also the son of man will certainly suffer at their hands. And then verse 13, the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. And so John the Baptist fits this role. How does he fit this role? We'll go back to, uh, we can go to the gospel of Luke at the very beginning where uh, Zacharias, John the Baptist's father, has this vision and the angel comes to him and he says, this is uh, verse 15, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. This is the angel speaking. And he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So this is exactly what's taking place. This is what Jesus is pointing out. This has already happened. It was prophesied in Malachi. It was fulfilled through John the Baptist. It was spoken of by an angel to Zechariah. And this is what it means. So I think this is what's going on here. This question that the disciples asked, the reason why they asked it is because they could not reconcile the Old Testament and the prophecies there with what they are seeing and experiencing. For them, it, it just didn't fit. What in the world is going on? Especially when it comes to this suffering Messiah. They couldn't see it. Their expectation was things are going to get better. We're going to see the kingdom come and, and be established like it was uh, during the time of David and during the time of Solomon. I think that's what they were looking for. That was their expectations. And Jesus goes, no, no, no. Uh, it's going to come this way and it's going to be even greater than you think. This kingdom that I'm, that I'm uh, bringing in and ushering in is not a temporal kingdom. It's not a physical kingdom. And it's not just the Jewish people that will be invited in. It'll be all people. I am doing something greater than you think. The result is going to be this, the kingdom of heaven. And I think the disciples, they thought it was going to come through these means. Jesus is saying, uh-uh, it's going to come through the means of suffering and loss and denying yourself. So here's the question for us this morning. So we can kind of ask this question about the disciples. Do they get it? 
Do they get it? You know what? Even after this transfiguration and this conversation with Jesus, the disciples don't get it yet. These are just pinpoints. These are just reminders. These are images. And what's going to happen is, is later after Jesus is dead and rises again, after the, ascent, the ascension, there will come a time when the spirit comes and then they will get it. They will be able to look back through the timeline that they spent with Jesus. They'll be able to remember what he said, what he revealed to them and go, oh, now I get it. Now I understand. And here's the amazing thing is as they understand through the power of the Holy Spirit, they preach the gospel with boldness. They preach in a way where they get arrested and the authorities who are, uh, have the power to take their lives, to kill them, they stand before them, these, these uh, leaders and go, you know what? Uh, command us whatever you command us. You can tell us to stop speaking about Jesus, but we cannot disobey what the Lord has commanded us to do. We're going to pe- preach Christ. We're going to follow him no matter what happens to us, even if it means our suffering and our death. And so the question for us this morning, are we willing to as well lay down our lives, take up our cross, and follow him? You know, that, is a, that can be a struggle on a day-to-day basis. When you wake up in the morning and you go through life, you go through your day-to-day activities. The call for us is to remember. To remember what Jesus has done for us. To remember what has been revealed through the scriptures. What, what they witnessed. What they recorded for us. These witnesses, they recorded these things for us. And they were willing to die as well for this truth. Well, we put our faith and trust in what has been revealed to us in the word. Would we move in that direction to be strengthened by the word? Do we believe Jesus is truly the son of God and that he has atoned for our sin? And if you just consider yourself a disciple then what does it mean for you daily to obey him? What will that look like? Heavenly Father, we come before you. We thank you for this time that we can, we can look into your word, that we can be challenged by your word, and we pray, Lord, that it would be a reminder of the calling to listen to Jesus and what he's called us to. Lord, would you do a work in such a way that we wouldn't just believe these things, but we would live them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. Make sure you come back next week to hear the next message in our series.